Starve the doubts is something that I believe in. I mean, you're right. That's a, what you're saying with starve the doubts. I totally believe in it. You're right on with starve the doubts. Yes, starve the doubts. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jared Easley. I'm your host. And joining me is my co-host, Miss Christine. How are you? I'm doing well. You're behaving? Always. Always. And of course, joining <laughs> us today is Larry Hankin. He's an artist, writer, performer, director, producer, and Oscar nominee, and one of Hollywood's most recognizable faces in the world of character actors. He's been featured on Laverne and Shirley, Escape from Alcatraz, Star Trek, Friends, Seinfeld, CSI, Breaking Bad, the list goes on and on. Larry, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for calling in. Okay. I don't know if I can follow that, though. <laughs> Well, we don't expect you to. We're just glad you're here. Okay, <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, we, have, Larry, we have very low yeah, standards Larry. here, Larry. <laughs> low standards. Okay. Keep it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. From so the hosting was, perspective. Okay, you introduced Larry Hankin, and this is Larry. So you're talking to Larry. Okay, Larry. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's straight. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, Larry, we like to start the show with the icebreaker. What's the best concert yeah. that you've ever been to? The best concert? Mm-hmm. Wow, man. I haven't been to a concert in ages and literally in years. Okay, so what's the best one that I ever was at? Or you can do a performance. Wow. If you can't think of a concert, a performance. Performance. You know, I haven't <laughs> been out because I haven't been out of the house in so long. It's not, not only the COVID thing. Well, by the way, where are you guys? broadcasting from well i'm in south florida and, uh, well we're both in florida so yeah yeah oh okay in florida. florida okay so you know about the covid thing so i haven't been out of the house in months to go anywhere like a movie or something like that but even before that even before the covid thing hit with the sequestered and the mask and everything i was sequestered on my own because i was writing a screenplay so when the covid thing hit and everybody said you know you have to be sequestered in your house or whatever it didn't bother me because I just kept on <laughs> being sequestered. I, I had been sequestered for two months before that. So I have been out of circulation for a long time and I, I still am sequestered. So it's really a hard. I haven't gone to any, I can't remember any concerts except, you know, I went to the Fanatic Salon. I guess that, that wasn't a concert. Or perf- it was a performance. It was a theater. Yeah, I haven't been to a, anything live and maybe over a year, you know, over a year. So that's kind of a hard question to start off with. Wow, you stumped me right out of the box. <laughs> well, Larry, Larry, no answer. That was supposed Holy to be an icebreaker. Larry, this is a sa- yeah. this is a safe zone. This is hardest podcast. Yeah, you're safe here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I, I haven't been to a concert in so long I've forgotten it. And that, that's a sincere answer. The last event I went to was the Chiller, the thing. That, that was a uh, last year I went to the Chiller, you know, where you sign autographs and stuff and, you know, you sell your books and you know, all that stuff. That was in New Jersey. That was amazing, actually. I mean, I mean any kind of event nowadays, you know, because you, you see yeah. events on television with the fire and the lights and the, I mean, basically it's back in the 60s was, you know, when they had all those, you know, psychedelic rock concerts and stuff. Well, you know, they're doing it now. So it's, it's just the same, but, but different. You know, they have, it, it's digital lighting and digital fire. You know, it goes off 
digitally instead of some guy lighting it, having blowing and blowing up and his hair catching on fire. But but other <laughs> oh than that, God. was that a reference to Michael Jackson? <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, uh, but but I mean, all the concerts that I went to, you know, uh, in the other century, in the, in the 20th century, <laughs> were, you know, people catching on fire, things catching on fire, you know, stuff like that. Maybe well, that's where they got the Burning stuff. Man well, from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Burning Man stuff. But even now, when you watch the, you know, the, what do you call it, the halftime at football games nowadays, you know, that yeah. stuff with the fire and the, you know, the, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that I would remember is something like that. Other than the that, fire, it's no, got to be I, lit I for you. Uh, well, yeah, you know, and, and huge speakers. That's about, and then I remember, oh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. But no, I haven't been going anywhere. I've been really working hard. I've been making movies and stuff like that. My social life has been really on hold for at least a year and a half. Seriously, just working my head. I'm trying to get a vacation. I'm trying to... Same. But, uh, hashtag you know, same. Things. Hashtag me too. You're just, uh, yeah. You're just trying to so. stay home and, and not do anything. Well, kind of, yeah, the sequester in place was kind of a relief, actually. But now I really would like to go. So, you know, all the movies I've seen... In the last two years, have been on television or Netflix, or I haven't gone out of the house. My, and this is the truth, that my only meetings going out with other people have been planned events where like dinners, like several friends, you know, 10 friends are going to have dinner at, a, at this, the Fish Company, which is a great restaurant around here. You know, you're going, we're meeting because people, I guess, haven't been maybe interested in going out to these large events. So we're making our own events. I mean, those are the kind of events I've been going to is where you get 10 friends or eight friends or even four friends. And you say, okay, we're going to meet here, right. you know, and then we go and meet. So those are the kind of events I've been doing because it's the only way I can get away from work is, you know, just one evening, mm-hmm. you know, among friends. That's kind of it. You know, it's, hey, you think it's difficult being in showbiz? That's, this is what it is. This is, there's no, you know, red carpets and, you know, no, it's working all the time, man. It's crazy. At least for what I do. What I do is I just do a lot of different things. Like I I write, I write my own little one man shows or I write, I just finished three days ago, that screenplay that I was writing since before COVID hit. It's a comedy horror, chiller kind of thing For, for myself. I'm writing it for me. You know, I'll be in it. So that's what I've been doing for four months. And then right before that, I was editing another thing that I had done for about three or four months. So that's almost a year. It's like nine, nine or 10 months right there. Just being in the house writing. And then, you know, I would do movies for my friends. So that's a couple of days where, you know, for me, when I finish shooting a movie, even if it's a film short, you know, you're shooting all day, you're on your feet. You know, I just want to go home and just, you know, just watch TV or take a nap or I don't know, just read a book or I don't want to go out of the house anymore. You know, I, I was out all day on my feet, just acting yeah. my ass off, you know, just really working hard. So that's the story of me <laughs> so far for the last uh, year. Yeah. Well, no, but I've been working on that. I also, uh, by the way, I also opened two businesses during nice. that time. So, you know, it takes up a lot of time just starting a business. It's my website and I got t-shirts, you know, coming out now and, and I guess in another two weeks. So I've been designing those. That's the other thing I've been doing. When I stopped writing, I would have to design the t-shirts and stuff. So, yeah, you just caught me at a weird time. Right, really. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 
look it no, up. No, I have a lot to talk about. I have a lot to talk about. You know, yeah. but, but it's not concerts, okay? It's not concerts. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Larry, let's go into finish this sentence. I'll give you the beginning of a sentence and then you okay. complete the sentence. And the sentence, oh, the beginning of the sentence is the key to shopping at Whole Foods during the COVID-19 pandemic is to blank. Wear a mask and go at eight o'clock in the morning. That sounds like a smart strategy. Yeah. Beat, well, beat the crowd. I mean, you asked the question, I finished it. You know, that, like it. that's what I found. <laughs> that's what I found. Hey, I only speak the truth, you know. <laughs> that's it. That's how I said. Is there another way to finish that? Nope. You <laughs> finish it correctly. <laughs> no, I, I, you're beating the crowd. You're being prudent. I like it. Well, no, I mean, I just, frankly, if you really want to know being up to date with Larry, I discovered it this morning because I got up at like seven and I said, what the hell am I going to do at seven? Oh, Whole Foods opens at eight o'clock. I'll go there and wear a mask. And I went, well, and when you go there at eight o'clock, I discovered after all these months that, you know, they're set up for business. I mean, there's no crowds, everything, all the food shelves are full. It was amazing. I've been shopping in the afternoon and trying to, you know, because it's really, you don't, I don't go out much because of this thing. You know, my hair is gray. When I go out, I'm fighting for my life. It's a crazy time. It's really weird. I wear gloves. I put on a mask. You know, I stay six feet away from people, even when I'm riding a bike. Anything that moves, I say, even dogs, I'm six feet away. That's it. So it's a crazy time where we're, we're living in. So a lot of the questions that are standard nowadays for interviews is out the window because you're not going to get any kind of standard answer nowadays. People are just, like, for instance, when I go out, like if I ride the bike, you know, everybody's wearing masks around here. It's the beach and the beach is closed. So everybody's wearing masks. So it looks like I'm riding around in a city of thieves. It's like really weird. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, anybody could rob me and I wouldn't know who the heck robbed me. You know, it was him. No, it was him. No, it was him. It was a guy with a mask. I know that. It was the guy. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's really crazy. I'm kind of enjoying it, you know. But But nobody recognizes you, so they're less likely. Oh, yes, they do. That's the other weird thing about (laughs) fans. I was in Whole Foods the other day. I had my mask on. I had black gloves on. I had a black jacket on and jeans. And I had my dark glasses on because I just walked in. I mean, I don't wear dark glasses inside. But I just right. walked in from outside, so I hadn't taken the glasses off yet. And this couple go, oh, I love your work. Thank you. You know, I can't. They recognize me in the mask and the glasses and the, the gloves and the black. So there you go. You know, it's, I thought that was amazing. How did they do that? I don't even recognize the stars when they don't have it. You know, when they're naked, I don't even recognize them. So <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> If, have you ever been tempted, though, you, where you say, I think that person's a star, so I'll just say, hey, I love your work, and then leave it at that? And you No, I don't do that. I okay. don't do that. You wouldn't have to do that. But I, so, I could see how someone else who's not famous might do that. Well, I mean, I know how awkward it is because people do that to me, so I wouldn't do that to somebody else. I wouldn't right. just go up to you and go, hey, I love your work. Hey, I love your work. <laughs> well, I'm like, oh, my I, you know, I don't know you. <laughs> and it's like going up to a, you know, or, I, would, cl- or, I would clutch my wallet is what I did. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Now you're on to Larry. Now you're on to me. I mean, yeah, it's like going up to, yeah, it's just very, and I'm kind of, I'm not, you know, an outgoing, I'm kind of shy. I mean, not really, really shy, but, you know, I, I kind of keep to myself. I'm, you know, private person. 
I also I have ADHD and I'm a dyslexic. So that also adjusts my social behavior because I misinterpret a lot of signals because I just think, oh, well, dyslexics. I mean, like there's a lot of dyslexic in show business, but dyslexics are not, they think different. They're not like smarter or, or stupider than anybody else. They just get to the same point through a different route. So because of that, I misinterpret signals and either body language or either instructions, like on the internet. The internet totally confuses me. And that's, that's the truth. Because I get mixed signals from dyslexia as to what the information really wants me to do. Right. Because if there's any way to reinterpret a sentence, I'll do it. That's what dyslexia does. It's dyslexia. Lexia is like language or writing or reading. It misinterprets. And so I have to think before I act. I don't think before I speak. And consequently, I insult a lot of people that by saying the wrong thing. Yeah, it's really a trip. It's very interesting. It, I think a lot more people who are creative are dyslexic because I think it, it affects that part of the brain, you know, your left side and your right side of your brain. One side is creative. The other side is logic and you know, factual. And I think dyslexia affects the creative part on the side. So I think, I'm not sure of that figure, but I think that's right. That like, you know, 60 to 80% of dyslexic creative in some way. I mean, you know, you're not a genius, so you don't have to be a painter, but you're creative in some way, but you do misinterpret. So that's, that's another thing I have to deal with, which makes life very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Now, Larry, you love to tell stories. What's a funny story that you haven't shared or told recently? Well, here's the thing. I don't tell. I don't care what you've heard. I don't tell funny stories. I tell interesting, I tell interesting stories that probably will turn out funny. But that's not my claim to fame or what I go into some conversation or story with that aim in mind. Hey, here's a funny story. No, but the things that happen, <laughs> you know, turn out that people, you know, are, get, you know, sometimes hysterical. I just did a podcast the other day and we were just talking and they were like laughing at fun, you know, at things I was saying. I say funny things as opposed to telling jokes. I just say funny things. It's the delivery. Not that I want to say funny things. You think it's the delivery more so than the actual content itself? No, it's, it's just what happens. Like, for instance, okay, I don't know. I'll tell you, like, See, you stump me when you say, tell your funny story. I have this Clint Eastwood story. I have this Larry David story that I've been telling. To me, it's just, okay, like when I auditioned for, he saw me in um, Seinfeld. I did a Seinfeld. And so I was up for the, what is it, the Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I was auditioning for that. Now, they don't give you sides. They give you little pieces of paper with your intent on it. Like it says for mine, my audition was Larry David is trying to get on an elevator and you're getting off the elevator and you do that dance. You know, uh, <laughs> you, you go one way and the guy goes the same way and you're, you know that dance, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Christine so, invented uh, that dance. Right. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. So anyway, and when I auditioned for Seinfeld, there was nobody in the room for the audition. It was just, I don't even think, yeah, no, there was like five people in the room. And Larry David was one of them for Seinfeld. So I auditioned and I had to audition actually five times to get that job. But anyway, okay. So that's what I had in mind when I was going to audition for Larry David for Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
But by then, when Curb Your Enthusiasm came out, he was a big star by then, you know, because of Seinfeld. So he was like a genius. He was known as, you know, the genius, the comedy genius of Larry David. So when I went to that audition, there was a room full of people. It was like an audience. It was like, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 people, you know, all writers, industry, you know, the producers of the show and the writers for the show and guest producers. And so it was kind of weird because I'm not used to that. You know, generally when you go to audition, it's the, you know, director, the writer, the producer, and, and that's it. So it was kind of weird to begin with. Anyway, I got my little piece of paper. It said, you get off the elevator, you do that dance. and when I walked in the room, one of the people who was in there was, and all the cast members were there too, to, to watch the audition. So Jeff Garland was there, right? You know, that the heavyset guy played his uh, manager. So Jeff, when Jeff, when I walked in the room, Jeff Garland came over to me and said, hey, I asked that you, uh, that they audition you. I set this up. So he just like, give me a little nod, which I didn't need that. It kind of puts the kibosh on it. It makes you now, oh, now I got to perform. I got to, you know, I owe this guy. He got the audition for me. So I got my little piece of paper and I go, okay, Larry Hankin, you're up. So I go and I get up and, you know, you're standing in front of, it's like a school, like a classroom in front of these people. There's no props or anything. So you're minding everything. So there's this invisible elevator and there's some guy on the side who's saying, okay. And so Larry David stands in front of me. I'm standing in front of him. And uh, he goes, okay. And the doors are opening. So, you know, he starts to go this way. I go this way. So we're doing the dance, right? No, up, 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 up. <laughs> but see, every time he wanted to go around, I would go that way. So we were doing only the dance from, I, and he was trying to get on the elevator and I was doing the dance. I was just not letting him on the elevator, you know, mistakenly going. And finally he got, so it was like, I don't know, like 40 seconds. If you do that for 40 seconds, that's a long time for an audition in front of all these. <laughs> and finally, he just went, you know, okay, that's it. All right, stop, stop. And he got walking around, just throwing his hands up and screaming. Okay, that's it. That's enough. Okay, finish, over, enough. And I'm going, wow, man, this guy's like totally crazy. And the rest of the room was like silent, like a bad thing had happened. And then they said, okay, Larry, somebody came up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're finished. Thank you. And they led me out of the door, out of the classroom, out of this audition room. So I'm out in the hall and I'm just going back to my car because I'm used to craziness. And the fact that it was in the middle of an audition and it was Larry David didn't make any difference to me. It was just, oh, Larry David just freaked out in front of me. So then all of a sudden, uh, Jeff Garland comes running out of the room chasing me down the hall and he's yelling at me. Well, not very loud, but he's yelling, what did you do? What did you do, Larry? What did you do? And I stopped and I go, I was auditioning. I was doing the dance. He says, no, no, you were arguing with him. I go, no, I wasn't. I was just a, the piece of paper said, and you do that dance. So I just <laughs> kept it up. And, you know, he says, and he says, no, no, you were arguing. No, no, no. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I said, no, man, I was just, doing the dance and I was having a little fun, man. It was like an improv. He said, no, no, no. And he just was wandering away back to the room. And I could see him shaking his head, you know, like he's going to get fired for recommending that they have me in to audition. He got that upset. And I don't get upset at anything. My go-to is I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't need this bullshit. And I just don't need it. I mean, sometimes people think that's funny. And sometimes people go, oh my God, Larry, what did you do? That was like crazy. 
So I don't know if I tell funny stories. It has nothing to do with funniness. It's just my dyslexia kind of limited my interpretation of that piece of paper. I didn't go beyond, and you do that dance, period. You know, that was what I read. That's what I did. No, you're supposed to improvise and go on and blah, 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 blah. You know, hey, man, get off my, you know. (laughs) Right. Get out of my way. You did the dance. Yeah. It was, you know, I mean, it's. So I don't know when people say, hey, tell that funny story. There is no funny stories. It's just my adventures in the real world because I have ADHD and dyslexia and I misinterpret or sometimes I go above it and I do make you laugh or them and I get the job. But I wasn't trying to. I go into auditions just trying to do my best. I'm not trying and trying to help them tell their story. That's what I think an audition is about. You hire somebody, help us tell the story. It's a great story, and it's going to be a movie or a TV show. And so I'll do my best to help you tell the story. I don't go in to get laughs. I don't go in to be dramatic. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm not in show business. I have nothing to do with show business. I don't know what show business is. Not my bag. So I don't know what, you know, I just go in and do my best, and I get the job or not. I'm a stand-up comedian. Actually, what I really am, I define myself. I'm a stand-up social anthropologist. That's what I am. I get up on stage and I just say how stupid we all are. And that's what makes people laugh. The stupidity of homo sapiens. You know, I'm writing a show about it, so I could go on forever. But yeah, all right. So that's kind of my funny stories. You know, they're not funny. They're just (laughs) events in my life. Yeah, that sounded traumatic, actually. Well, then that's what you get. You know, that's Larry. I don't know. Now he's got PTSD. Oh, my God. That's right. You know, you think you're going to get Larry Hankin. Everybody thinks they're going to get Larry Hankin, this guy who does, you know. No, man. I'm a human being. I'm just a guy. And you've seen me on television and you make these assumptions. Everybody does. Now, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to people who are even listening. They make these assumptions about, you know, red carpet and parties and stars. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, I'm a middle-class Jewish guy from far Rockaway, Long Island, who happens to make a living in front of people. I guess I'm interesting. I make money at it, so I guess I'm interesting. To say the least, it's very interesting. (laughs) Well, I guess. I don't know. And every interview is, you know, people ask me questions and I answer them. And that's what I think an interview is. But as far as a performance uh, goes, no, I don't. I'm not a performer. High performance... uh, isn't there a word for it, a psychological thing? Performance something? Where performance you, where you, you anxiety? Know, yeah. Performance anxiety, yeah. I, I don't like to perform. It doesn't oh. work for me. I used to, when I first started being a comedian, you know, the um, Monday night open mic nights. Yeah, that was, I, mean, I used to perform and, and I started getting funnier because I, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I mean, that's what it was, why I was doing a Monday open mic night. But I saw the less I performed, and the more real I got, the bigger the laughs got. See, but that, I wasn't trying to get laughs. I guess I was because I was saying I was a stand-up comedian. But here's an interesting way that it morphed into. When I was a, like an opener for big acts, like I used to open for Miles Davis or the Love and Spoonful of Ian and Sylvia or for the uh, Kingston Trio. I always went to this one club. It was uh, the Cellar Door in Washington, D.C. And that was a very hip nightclub, hip bistro. And all the, not only all the stars, they only booked stars with opening acts. And I was an opening act at the time. But they would hire opening acts pretty big. 
like I say, Miles Davis or anybody of that ilk, they used to introduce me because I played there all the time for a lot of different opening acts. So I was there maybe, you know, six, seven times a year. In the beginning, they introduced me as a beginning comedian who they were trying to, you know, help because they liked me and they wanted me for opening acts. So they kept on saying, ladies and gentlemen, here's one of the funniest guys we've ever booked into the cellar door. Let's give him a big hand. And that's when I was beginning. So I didn't know who I was or whatever. And, you know, they would clap and I would get on the stage and I would do my act. Okay. But when I started to become known a little, because they did a couple of television shows, maybe I was an actor on a show somewhere. So that, you know, that was known. They started booking me on bigger acts. And I found out they kept the same introduction. So when I opened for Miles Davis, they introduced me as, ladies and gentlemen, here's one of the funniest people we've ever had to sell a door. Really funny guy. It's going to be a big welcome. Larry Hankin. They didn't clap at all. I mean, they were on to it. Oh, we'll be the judge. I mean, you could hear the audience. You could hear sphincters just snapping shut, you know. Oh, fuck you, man. We'll be the judge. The audience will be the judge of whether or not I'm the funniest guy who has ever been booked in the cellar door. So what I did was, because it didn't work for about five or six acts that I opened for. It was really hard starting until I finally got them to laugh and get over that. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, we'll be the judge if you're funny or not. Just to get over that was like a big hook. So I started to tell them and it worked. I said, I don't want you ever to introduce me that way ever again. Here's your introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Hankin. That's it. And that's all I want. And I was very adamant about it. Just like I'm adamant about it now. So we're living it. But when they did that, ladies and gentlemen, Larry Hankin, I started off and I was funny. You know, it's that antagonism of will be the judge of whether you, when people introduce me to hey, let's hear a funny story. I'm sorry that you said it and I'm not picking, but no, people do that all the time to me. It just makes me traumatic. It just, oh, I got to perform now? No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it just doesn't, not for me. I got too many problems. I got too many personal problems for that to work. So I just get on and I just answer the questions people ask me as best I can. And sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're not. And I got to live with that. Because other than that, I just don't know where that goes. The show business stuff. I don't understand and never did understand show business stuff. So the Celador introduction kind of introduced me to, oh, I see. I believe I'm Larry. And they're introducing a guy named Larry Hankin. And that's not me. So I really try to make the separation or else I just lose my ego in a miasma of primarily to me bullshit. You know, there's show business and then there's what I do. I get up and I talk about what I want to talk about and people like it or not. It's really weird, you know, it is to me. It's as strange to me as it's strange to you. Okay, there you go. We were just trying to start an yeah. argument with you. That's <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, no, that's just where it went. I was having a conversation. Yeah, I still am having a conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know who Larry Hankin is. That, that's my problem. I don't know who Larry Hankin is. Well, one of the things you've done is you're an author. You've written a book, uh, The Loophole yeah. Dossier. Right. And that shares tales right. of survival. And in that, if uh, I yeah. understand it correctly, you were once homeless for an entire year. So I'm curious. How did you survive yeah. that? And what was a typical day like when you were homeless? 
Well, I didn't want to be homeless, and it wasn't an ordinary way to get homeless. I mean, I just went away for a while. I lived on a, you know, there's landing crafts, you know, on uh, Omaha Beach, the big one, that big landing where a lot of soldiers got killed and the Germans were firing down from them. You see them in black and white movies, LSDs where the soldiers, you know, you get in and then that front thing goes down and then all the guys, you know, like rush into the water and get shot by machine gun bullets. Those boats. I think they're LSTs or LSDs, but those boats, they're maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 feet long by maybe about 10 or 15 feet wide. And they're landing crafts. Okay. I lived on one of those. Uh, and it was just a landing craft that somebody had built sides on it, the sides up so you could stand up and your head, you know, we had headroom and they put a, a roof over that and it was just empty. And they had duck boards, just like the soldiers stood on because the bottoms are V-shaped. They're just, you know, metal floating containers, basically, with a V bottom so they can go through the water easily. So they put flat duckboards over that so you're not sliding up and down on the V of the floor. So, and that's what my house, my home was with the duckboards. And it was just painted whitewash white. It was that thin whitewash, not the thick white paint. So you could see brush marks, but it was painted all white. And there was just a wooden bunk. And if you had a sleeping bag and a mattress, you were cool. So I had to buy a mattress and that was it. And then there was a little wire frame, a wire going from the dock. And I was in San Francisco Bay. There was like 10 of these and they rented for about $150 a month, which is really cheap. And they were all the same. Each one had a wire from the dock into the top of the boat down. And that was your electricity. You can plug in as many things as you can to that one wire before it shorted out. And then that was your fault, not the owner's. And the owner lived on the, on the dock. So I went away because some guy in New York, I was living in San Francisco, some guy in New York hired me to write with him for three weeks. And it came with a rowboat. So every month for my rent, I paid cash, cash only. I would row into the, an old dock. It was a dock for a junkyard. On the land was a junkyard with a dock and then these boats were floating off of it. And that's where I lived. So I'd row in to the dock, knock on the guy's door. It was a woman, a crazy lady. I say crazy lady because her hair was never combed. It was always crazy. It was like up in the air and crazy. So I called her a crazy lady. She pretty well was, it turned out, I found out later. She was actually crazy, uh, mentally challenged. And so I would row in, pay her. So I thought, okay, three weeks. So I go to New York. He's paying my round trip fare. If I go there, work three weeks, I can get back in time to row in to pay her the cash. Cool. So I flew to New York on his dime. I lived with him in his house with his wife. I slept on a couch and we wrote for three weeks. And then he was paying me so much money in cash that I stayed another three weeks because he, he said, no, no, not finished. You got to stay another three weeks. I said, okay, I'll just go back. I'll give her a tip. I was getting so much money. I'll pay her two months rent and I'll give her another half a month's rent. You know, that's fine. Or even a month's rent. I can afford that. But there was no phone. I didn't have a phone in the boat. There was no phone line in there. There was no, back then, there was no digital. This was in the late 60s. So there was no address. It was a junkyard. I didn't know what the address was. So I just let it ride. So when I got back, the first thing I did is I hopped my little rowboat and I rowed out to my boat, my little SD boat. And I walked in and it was completely empty and re-whitewashed, just like the day before I moved in. I go, where's my stuff? And I holy cow. So I rowed back to the dock and I knocked on the door. And this guy in a, you know, white beater undershirt, you know, those kind of things. And he was in pajamas and bedroom slippers. 
And I go, oh, hi. I never saw this guy before in my life. He's about 45, 50, a little tinged gray hair. I go, where's the lady? Where's the owner? You know, the manager? Where's she? Oh, that's my wife. I says, oh, well, here's the rent. And where's my stuff? He says, oh, well, you didn't come back for the month's rent. And then you were away for another couple of weeks. We thought we didn't know what happened to you. I go, yeah, well, I'm back. And here's the two months rent. And plus, here's a tip. I got the cash in my hand. Where's my stuff? He says, well, one night, she, my wife, rode out and threw everything overboard. I go, what? Wow. She goes, yeah, well, you didn't contact us. And I go, really? Well, she's at the doctor now. You know, she's mentally ill. I go, oh, man. And so I, but where's, I am everything. My sleeping bag, the mattress, a radio, all my books, a poem that I wrote that Bob Dylan wanted to publish. That was, you know, gone to everything. So that's why I was homeless. So that's the beginning of my homelessness. There was no heads up. I just showed up and I'm homeless in one second. And so I had a Volkswagen bus and I lived in it for a year. So that's how I was homeless. What was my day like? Uh, Looking for another place to park for tonight before I was towed away because it was, you know, opposite side of the, of a parking in San Francisco. You have to move your car like, uh, you know, every other day or something like that. So that was my big thing. Where do I park my home for tonight so I can stay overnight? And then somebody stole my, and things would get robbed all the time. There's people I know know that you're living in it. So my phone, one time my, my really beautiful guitar was stolen. Another time they stole the battery from my car was stolen. So I couldn't move it. Yeah. I couldn't move it from the, and then it was the next day was when I, you know, that in the morning would be the tow away and I didn't no battery in my car. So that stressed. It was just one stress after another, man. But it, you know, and I lived for a, for a year in it. The, the, the upside is, you know, Shakespeare, the worst turns to laughter. And, and that's where my, my humor comes from. If you want, you want to know where the humor comes from, it's I tell the worst parts of my life. And that becomes the, the, the basis of the, what people say are the funny stories that I tell. Well, what I'm telling is the truth about what happened to me when I got, when I became homeless. So, you know, it's a long yeah. story, and, you know, but that's, so, you know, my days were filled with how do I get a phone call? Where can I take a shower? How can I get my phone calls? Can I sleep on your couch? And then I would hear, you know, in the kitchen, you know, I'm sleeping on the couch, you know, and they would get up earlier or I would be up earlier and I'd be in the kitchen and they'd be talking in another room. And I hear the wife would all, because it was always my friend, a, a, you know, an actor friend is, you know, can I sleep on your couch tonight? You know, I'm so, you know, it was always the wife that was complaining, you know, and rightly so. I mean, you know, how many, how many nights can you sleep on somebody's couch before they start, you know, hey, when is he going to leave? He's going to leave. You hear that, you know, he's yeah. your friend. You get rid of him. You tell him. You, I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. You know, and you hear that, man. And, uh, you know, it starts to get to you. You know, you just. So you're like, so, all right, uh, I'm going to head out. <laughs> you like, I don't want y'all to fight about it. All right, I'm going to head out just voluntarily. <laughs> This is, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you say that would, again. Would you just voluntarily say, like, in, instead of waiting for them to say, hey, you know, when are you going to leave? Oh, yeah, say, of course. All right, I'm going to head out. You know, things are appreciated to just say, no, 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 yeah. That, <laughs> no, of course. That's what I did. Yeah. You know, of course you, you would do that. You know, you don't wait for them. You know, you just take your stuff and you leave. By the time they come into the room, you're gone and you don't go back again. 
you just say, hey, I'm <laughs> sorry. Go back again. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, just I'm Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. And then when you see him, the, the, the guy who said, yeah, you can stay over my house. You say, hey, man, I'm sorry I split. You know, I heard, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I overstayed yeah. my welcome. But that's, you know, fish and guests, you know, you start to smell in three days. That's that's the same. So, you know, but but I, I would live in my car. I nearly killed myself a couple of times by uh, cooking in my car. <laughs> that, that's, now that's, you know, it's, it's really weird. You know, I got a little hibachi. And so uh, I had a Volkswagen bus. So the, the back, it was totally empty. In other words, it was down to the metal. There was no seats. There was no cloth. There was no, it was just, it was like a delivery truck. It was just uh, metal, metal floor, metal ceiling, metal sides. There was just a, the, the driver seat. That was the only seat in it. If you rode with me, you sat on a box in the shotgun seat. It was just a wooden box, milk crate. So there was nothing in it. So I could sleep in the back. And that was, you know, I hung a little curtain maybe, if, you know, if I wanted to for my bedroom or my, my, if, I, if I didn't clean up or whatever. And my stuff was back there. Yeah. So I would just sleep back there. And then some, this time, or I'd take a shower. Hey, can I take a shower of your house? Or I would like to, or I had two girlfriends in the year. And that was just because, you know, I just needed a place to sleep. So I got a girlfriend, you know, so I could take a regular <laughs> okay. shower. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, if you get a girlfriend, you have a, a phone, you have a regular shower, you can cook a meal. You know, you could sleep with somebody. You could sleep in a bed. You know, it was it was cool. <laughs> it was great. It was great. You had somebody to talk to. You know, it was wonderful. You could watch television if you wanted to. You know, I, all the all the amenities of being a United States citizen it was great. <laughs> so, and then finally, I got a job where I could pay, and then I went uh, moved down to Hollywood, and I started getting jobs as an actor. So I just didn't work as a stand-up comedian anymore. You know, I just became an actor. And so that was, and that, you know, I get into show business and you're trying to just get another job. So I was auditioning all the time and that became my, my TV sitcom life was just auditioning. And that's just, you just, you know, just perspiration all the time. You know, just trying to get a job, trying to get a job, trying to get, and you get one, but as soon as you get one, you know, as soon as this job's over, I got to get another one. I mean, there's, you just knew yeah. the pattern. It wasn't like I'm going to be in this job for the rest of my life or even the rest of the season. These are just one-off, uh, like uh, Laverne and Shirley and That Girl and, and I, I, I don't know, whatever's in the IMDb thing. So, you know, and then finally I started to make a lot of money. And what, I'm, what I spent my money on was making films, my own little films, you know. And, and that's up on my website. Now, I got a website. So now all I do is I, I that's my new business. You know, so I'm putting up my films and my art and my prints and my T-shirts. And I wanted to you know, talk a little bit about your art. What 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 inspires your sketches, your doodling, and you know all your artwork? What, what have you been to the website? I have not. Jared has told me that. Oh, okay. You know, See, I, I, I've seen there. I've seen your artwork. Oh, okay. Because the reason that I asked her is because you use words that are on the website, doodling and art. Those are, I mean, I use those words in explaining my art. Oh, so okay. I, I thought may, maybe he told you or somebody told you or you watched or you had been to it. That's why I asked the question. He told me about some of that. Yeah, he had seen yeah, it. I, my art is based on my doodles. They're, they're the, the artwork, the prints are about four feet by five feet. They're, you know, they're huge. For, you know, they're, they're, they're built from museum walls or, or large living room walls. They're built for walls. So I, I would, over the, you know, while I was, if I had any spare time, I, I would paint. Well, 
No, he even goes beyond that. When you are a stand-up comedian, or even in, in, in not very many sitcoms, you know, you're always looking to audition for something. You have a lot of time on your hands. So what I was doing at, at, at in those days, when I first started in Hollywood, was I would buy a newspaper, you know, like the LA Times or, you know, well, that was the where I was living, Hollywood. I'd get the LA Times and I would read it from cover to cover, from first page to last page. And, and I had no section in mind. I was just looking for stuff or maybe if I go back on stage, just, you know, fodder for things to talk about. But every once in a while, because I, I love to draw and doodle. And uh, have you ever heard of a, a guy named um, Roger Price? He wrote a book called Droodles. A anybody? No, this is way back, back in, back in the day. Well, Droodles, what, what he did was they're little line drawings, mainly his pen and ink drawings. Very simple line drawings that you didn't know what it was until you turned the page and he told you what it was. You know, you had to guess. What is this droodle? And it was like, okay, what it was, was, okay, an oblong box, like just a square that was, that was oblong, you know, four-sided figure that was oblong, with a oblong line going up, but instead of it cutting off flat at the top, it was rounded. So it was a line going up, rounded off, and then a line going right next to it back down to the box. So basically, so you, even though I, I explained it, even if you did understand what I just said, you couldn't guess what it was a picture of. <laughs> was it a picture? It. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, okay. It's a telephone booth that tilted over again. And the guy in the, on the phone was playing a trombone. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? It's just, you yeah. can't that, figure that it out. should have been obvious. Yeah. But, but, and then, you know, he would then maybe on the next page where, you know, another question, what is this strudel? He'd have it standing up. So in other words, the telephone booth would be standing up, but the trombone curved thing would be coming out, but it would be something totally different. It wouldn't be, oh, it's a standing up telephone booth with a guy playing trombone in it. No, it's uh, and I, I forgot now. I mean, it's way back in the sixties. But it was a whole book of those little jokes. He just little, and he called them, he said it was based on doodles, but he wanted to name the game that you're playing. So he called them droodles because they actually were something that you didn't. Okay. So that's what my paintings, the four feet by five feet things were based on. It was based on when I was going through the LA Times and I saw either a article that really interested me for some strange reason, you know, not necessarily politics, or there was a picture and in the picture, you know, a newspaper picture of something that was interesting. Either the picture was interesting or a person's face in it or a person's posture in it was interesting or somebody's expression or something. So I would do a little doodle somewhere on the same page, but not where a picture is, you know, where, where the writing is. So I just do a little droodle, a quick, a quick drawing. And I'm a pretty good draftsman. I, I took art in school and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good. And I'm practicing all my, so the little droodle, the little doodle that I did, not very long or, or very complex. I would cut it out. If I liked, if I liked what I did, I would cut it out. It's a little doodle, maybe about, you know, three or four inches square or less sometimes, you know, sometimes more. I would take it home and I would go put it on the internet. Uh, I would put it on my, uh, what do you call it? Photoshop. And I would blow it up. And when you, I blew it up, 
to about, oh, I don't know, maybe a foot by a foot, I would then paint it with, with Photoshop. I would paint, you know, I get a paintbrush and I would paint it. But the rule was, my rule was that I couldn't destroy as, as complex as the painting was, I couldn't destroy the doodle that somehow you would ha- be able to see the doodle. And one of the proofs of it was I would always let somewhere in the painting, the printing of the, new, the newsprint show through. So you could see that whatever this mm. painting is, whether right. it was a person or an animal, you could see, oh my God, he did the painting on a, new, on a newspaper. Well, yeah, but I blew it up to four feet by four feet. So the, the newsprint would be also, you know, blown up the same way. Yeah. But you could also see the lines of the of the of the pen pen and ink drawing that I did, but there was paint sometimes I would cover over half of the drawing with just paint. You know, following inside the line or not, not they're, they're all they're all realistic. They're they're all real people or a real car or a real dog or a real elephant or they're all real. They're not abstract at all. But, you know, but somewhere in it and sometimes if if there was a really great little doodle, I would leave most of the doodle there and just paint around it or sometimes like so that was that that's the kind of thing that's kind of a unique product that I, I turned out and it's kind of different than anybody else is doing so a lot of people I did 40 of there's 44 of them up on my site and and they're the prints in other words they're these four feet by four feet you know they're small on the screen they're only about you know two three inches you know square but they're they're paintings so are your shirts or, or, or based or off print. some of these, the shirts that you said you were working on? So all the shirts. So somebody said to me one day, wow, man, these would make great T-shirts. And I go, right on, man. And it took me a couple of months to find a T-shirt company that could reproduce the exact color of the paintings. In other words, I didn't want to do T-shirts. Yeah. I wanted to do paintings, my paintings on a T-shirt. So they are color accurate. And that, I, that took a long time. Uh, they're doing it now. It's a place called T Public. Is one word T Public T E E P U B I L I C dot com, and they have a link to my website. My website is therealarryhankin.com. dot com, and all those paintings, which be, will become T shirts when they go up, they'll be go. They're, they're going to go up with the link in about a week or two, so people can and wear your works be, of art. That's what's up. Oh yeah, man, and they're really great. They really are cool. I'm not kidding around. You know, there are a lot of people. Have, well, I if we were on TV, I could show you. I mean, I know, if we right? were on like Zoom. <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm gonna definitely have to check the, check them out. I just I just been working. Like I have not had that much time to catch up on like a lot of things recently. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> Currently, who is who is someone that inspires you? It doesn't have to be about shirts or your art or just in general. Who is someone that inspires Aesop. you? I'm sorry. Aesop and the Brothers Grimm and, oh. uh, you know, um, who, who's the other one? Oh, Mother Goose. I mean, I, re- I read those when I was a little kid. You know, at the age you read those those things. Yeah. I was voracious. I mean, I just, I would read them over and over and over again. Uh you know, until they were part of me. Uh, that's where my writing comes from. But then as I grew up, my parents were very, very conservative and reactionary. Uh, they were totally, I mean, they were right wing of right wing of right wing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they just, they, they didn't like anybody. They were against everything. They were against knowledge. They were against curiosity. They were against intelligence. They were against anything. So. And they were also 
I call them facadists, like a facade. Well, because when you come into our house, we, we had a two-story, you know, house in Far Rockaway. They just filled their bookshelves, you know, just furniture, regular, you know, standard bookshelves with encyclopedia, the full encyclopedia Britannicas and the full, you know, famous stories of history. I, that's not what they're called, but, you know, famous books or, you know, like, you know, uh, Cervantes and uh, I, I, I've forgotten all you know, uh, all the great authors, right. you know, uh, the great author books, that, that's what it was. The great author bo- set, you know, there's about 20 books of every famous book there ever was back before the forties, you know, anything that was ancient was, you know, fun. So when I was growing up, I had nothing to, to read except comic books and these, you know, mother goose and stuff. And I was starting to outgrow them. So I would, you know, read the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, that was my reading material. Or I would look up words. Or I'd love to look up things. So I would take these books. So I was reading, you know, like El Cid. When I was, you know, 13 or 14, I was reading Cervantes, Don Quixote. I was reading all those, all those famous books, you know, mm-hmm. like Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. I, I remember going to, you know, we had a class assignment when I was, I don't know, whenever you get, the earliest you can get a class assignment to read a book. The mm-hmm. first time I ever, you know, in public school. So everybody, and you had to come up to the teacher and tell the book you were going to read. And I said, I'm going to read Anna Karina. Anna oh Karina. <laughs> I, said, I said to her, and she said, oh, yeah, that's what she said. She said, oh, my, that's very good. And I wondered why she never said that to the other kids. Yeah. I said, that's a different thing you said to me. They said, well, that's fine. That's fine. She says, oh, that's great. You know? And so I read it, you know, and I didn't read the whole thing because I mean, I just, I couldn't understand it after a while. I read, you know, like 15, 20 pages and it was getting like two, I didn't get it. But you know, when it came time for the test, I don't know how, if I passed or failed, I don't know, but you know, what book did you read? And I wrote down Anna Karenina and that was a good mark. I got a good mark just for, for, for being able to spell out the title on the page, I guess. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, in other words, my, my, so all my references, you know, when I finally got to the 60s and Bob Dylan, I still was back in the, you know, in the 17th and the 16th century. You know, I didn't get Bob Dylan at all until somebody forced me, <clears throat> forced me, stuck my head into his, what do you call it? His speakers. And he played, tell you what he played. It was exactly the, the song, Mr. Tambourine Man. He put the whole album on of, of uh, Bob Dylan and I didn't get it at all. I said, no, he can't sing. And I don't get, I don't know. What are these songs about? That, that's how, I don't know, retroactive. I, I don't know, you know, what I was, stupid. I, I guess unlearned, unintelligent uh, that I was, that I, I'm not familiar with folk songs at all. And, uh, and I was doing stand-up in, in Greenwich Village because I had graduated college. So, so I was like, what, 19, 18 and 19. And I still didn't understand Bob Dylan. But I was in the Greenwich Village doing stand-up material, blah, 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 until a friend of mine who was a folk singer stuck my head in the speaker and said, listen to this song and tell me you don't like it. And he played it three times until I go, oh, yeah, one hand waving free. You know, the stars... He's on the beach. I started to get the story. Once right. I got the story that he was telling, then I got to say, oh, wow, this guy's a really cool writer. 
Well, he goes, oh, really, Larry? Oh, nice going, man. Uh, you know, that's when I became hip or with it. or And then I started growing my hair long. and You know, you know hip, hep, you know, with it. Yeah, I was way behind, way, way behind. I didn't get it until I auditioned for the committee in Second City. And even though I was opening, I started opening for like Woody Allen. I was opening for Woody Allen mm-hmm. right after that. So I was funny. See, you know, I had chops. I was opening for Woody Allen, but I was just beginning. Now, here's the weird thing. Again, I was just beginning to understand Dylan, but somebody had told me while I was doing opening for, well, a couple of months later, I just gotten off the stage of opening my mic nights, open mic nights, went around the corner of Greenwich Village to the number one Fifth Avenue. I finally got a manager who said, okay, just keep doing the open mic nights. I'll come in and check. When you're ready, I'll book you in a, in a place, in a real, you know, nightclub. A couple of months later, he came by. He said, okay, I got your gig. It's around the corner. It's in a nightclub. You have to have a, a tuxedo. You got to wear a tuxedo. You got to get your hair cut, you know. It doesn't have to be short, short, but you can't have it too long. And you're opening for a, a nightclub singer, you know, not, not a folk singer. You're opening for a nightclub singer, and you have to have a tuxedo. I said, I don't have any money for a tuxedo. He says, okay, I'll buy you. He bought me a tuxedo. Oh, nice. I was going to say, you had a tuxedo? <laughs> like, how'd that work no, out? No, <laughs> no. He bought me. He bought me a tuxedo. It was Woody Allen's manager. That's who I nice. married. That's who discovered me. So he, I was there. So once I was there... And then I went back to, you know, doing, playing coffee houses. But now I was opening for, you know, like Tom Rush or, you know, Dave Van Ronk or something like that. But still in the village doing coffee houses or, but opening for, you know, now it was not the open mic nights. It was now Saturday night or Sunday night or Friday night. So I was, you know, opening for headliners of coffee houses. That was when I started to understand, you know, Dylan and started to understand the sixties and, and get, get caught up. Like, and then the, the weird thing was many, many years later when I was working in movies and I was in the committee in San Francisco and we were a big hit one day, one night when I was in the committee, which is an improv group like second city in San Francisco, there were big hits. Dylan was playing in Berkeley. He was now Bob Dylan. He had a couple of albums out. He was, you know, owned the sixties. And I guess 62 or 63, maybe. Then somebody comes backstage to me and says, hey, Bob Dylan is here and he wants to talk to you. And I go, how does he know me? Well, uh, you know, I, what, what's that all about? I, I don't know him. I mean, I, I knew he was, you know, now Bob Dylan, you know, big deal. So I, I went out, you know, after the show and he was waiting in the lobby. You know, a lot of people crowded around him because he was Bob Dylan, you know. A lot yeah. of people crowded around him and he said, I go cut through and I said, did you want to talk to me? He says, yeah, but we got to get out of here, man. This is, you know, really crazy. I mean, people were just bothering him. I mean, to be Bob Dylan. See, that's where I get that attitude. I mean, he just, he was drugged with that, you know, by then. And I was only 63. And he said, let's get out of here, man. These people are bothering him. So that's where I kind of picked up the attitude. And I later, when I, you know, really liked him a lot, I said, you know, he's in the right attitude. So he went to a bar and I said, well, you know, why? And he had Bobby Newitt, his, his road manager, with him. So, and he's just as hip as Bob Dylan is. He's re- really great. I know, I know Bobby Newitt. He's a really cool guy. We went to a bar, a local bar, and he says, I, I want you to write a movie for me. And I go, a film short. 
was a film short. He said, I want to, I, I wrote a new song and I want you to write a, a film short for me. And I go, okay, but I mean, how do you know me? Well, where did you come from? I, I, you know, I, I know you, but what is this? He says, you used to do open mic nights in the village, didn't you? And I go, yeah. He says, well, I was playing the village too. And I remember, yeah, there was a guy named Bob, Bob Dylan playing and, and another I said, well, I used to come and see you. You were a funny guy. You know, I used to come. <laughs> Every time I come off the stage, I would just go over to where you were playing. I just watch you. And I just remember, he said to me. So I just remembered, you know. And then now, um, you know, I got this song. I thought, you're the guy. And I just saw the, your show. You know, it's a really cool show. So I want you to write this film short. So I go, oh, okay, what is it? So he wraps this film short out to me. And I had no, it's just like the first time I heard Bob Dylan, I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no idea. I was sitting in this bar and he's going, yeah, well, Sammy Davis Jr. is tap dancing on the bar and uh, the bar is a, a wallpaper is newspapers. I'm going to have bleachers out on a road. And, you know, he's giving me some of these, you know, like there's, you know, God say to Abraham, kill me a son, you know, putting out bleachers out in the road. That song he was giving me later on. I remembered, oh, that's what he was talking about. So he's telling me this story that he wants me to write the film to is a song, telling me the song. And Bobby Newitt is sitting next to him. We're sitting in a booth. And Newitt just looks, at, it gives him the elbow, gives Bob the elbow, goes, hey, Bob. And right in front of me, I'm facing both of them. Right in front of me, he turns to the devil and he goes, he doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about, Bob. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and we, but he was right. I couldn't even be insulted. He was fucking right. He read my body language in my face, man. I had no idea. So, but Bob is really cool. He goes, no, no, wait, wait, wait. So he tried to explain it to me a little clearer. You know, he was trying to really get to me. I mean, to explain. but I just didn't, I said, Bob, I, I just, I don't get it. I just don't understand what you want me to do. Okay. Now here's the thing. First of all, the next thing that Newark said was, come on, man, he's not getting, let's go, man. We got to get back. You know, we, he's got to go back to Berkeley uh, or wherever he was going. I don't know. Maybe he was just going out of here. So we got to get out of here. So Bob says, okay, you know, fine. Well, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And they just split. Okay. So I don't hear from him ever again. And about a year later, I get a call from Robbie Robertson in my home, in my home, still in San Francisco, in my house. I go, oh, who's this? He said, hey, this is Robbie Robertson, you know, from the band. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, of course I knew, you know, by now I was caught up in you know, 60s. Right. Okay. Robbie, fine. The band. Yeah, what, 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 how did you get this number? I think I called either, I don't know, I called the committee or your, uh, your manager. I got somebody, I don't know, I don't know, somebody gave it to me. Well, what do you want? Uh, why are you calling me? Uh, well, Bob, Bob told me to call you. Bob who? Bob Newark? No, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, why? Well, we got this movie that I want you to write. Oh, God, no. I said, no, not over again. But no, he had a movie that he wanted me to write, a regular, a Carney movie. He said, no, I, I, this is a Carney movie. We want to do a movie. The band wants to do the soundtrack to a movie. So our label, I guess it was Warner Brothers or Columbia. I don't know. I went to, he, Robbie Robertson, went to Columbia and said, we want to do the soundtrack to a movie. There's a lot of money in that. And we don't have to tour. So his record company said, all right, get a movie. And then we'll do the soundtrack. And, you know, we'll even give you some bucks to, you know, to, to option the movie. And then we, you and the band and Columbia Records, will go to the majors and we'll say, hey, let's do a movie. You know, you want to do a Carney movie. Okay, bring in a script. 
So that's why he was calling me. He wanted me to write the script of a Carney movie so they could do the soundtrack. And Robbie wanted a part in it for himself. That was the other thing he told me. And I said, okay. I said, okay, this time, because I understood that part, but I didn't know how to write a screenplay. So I'll end it there because that started another story that was just impossible. It's a long story. And that's part <laughs> it's of it. It's impossible to, to tell in any short way, but it has to do with the money and banks and what I went through to write. There are heist involved. <laughs> Mighty banks, like heist. I'm like, <laughs> the what just thing? kidding. A heist, like oh, a big heist. Money, oh, big oh, yeah, heist. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so already, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so and I went. I went and I lived and I lived and I, you know, was in Big Big Pink and I, I lived up in Bearsville with the band and with Robbie and with the Dylan and with Dylan, and it was a whole big, huge, and not a process. It was anything but a process. It was. It was the. It's one of the worst times of my life that ended up as a really great, incredible time of my life. Hmm. So that that's this, this story. But I'm writing a, a book about it, and I'm writing a, a one-man show about it. So, but yeah, see, the, the, that's the stories I tell. And, you know, they're just interesting stories, man. But, and that's a really long one. <laughs> yeah, but nothing beats real life because sometimes yeah. you're just like, I can't make this up. Like when I'm at work and some things oh. happen, you're just like, I really can't make this up. Like somebody, I told right. Jared earlier, it's like some lady called last night and was like, hey, I want them to check my oven is hot. I need the fire department to come and check it out. And I had to actually dispatch somebody to it. And then the, the person working the other channel that gave the information out was like, yeah, they wanted you to, you know, go and reference her. She says that her oven is hot. <laughs> you can't make that up. You can't make that up, man. You can't. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's I was the call taker, I, and I'm like, I wanted to be like, well, is it, is it hotter than normal? What part of the oven? Is it catching something? I was just like, this is all yeah. the information we have, and you know what? Not just like <laughs> one recent example, but like, yeah, it's you're not trying so, to be uh, funny, but you're like, hey, check this out. Yeah, this like, just happened. But by the way, <laughs> you just gave me the title to my book. I, I've been trying to figure out because I'm writing oh? a book of my life, you know, a biography. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm writing. You know. I'll expect and you, and you a wall can't... painting and a T-shirt, <laughs> you know, and I won't ask for any okay. royalties. Okay, well, then I'm not going to tell you the name. That she, you she, she wants to be able to talk to you in Whole Foods. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk to you in Whole Foods. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you the name of the book. Uh, then I, I, and I think right now, just, you know, talking right now, when I sleep on it, maybe it'll change. But right now, I think it's a pretty good title. It's like stories you can't make up. Yeah, and that's yeah. a great title. I like it. That. Really is. Yeah, because uh, and, and it's really the it's really is the truth of yeah. what I I do. I tell you stories that you can you can't make up. You know, watching Larry Hankin, uh, Larry Hankin, <laughs> Larry David, just flip out in an audition. <laughs> that, you know, I just didn't like him on the elevator, and there wasn't an elevator. Yeah, the there elevator. was no elevator. You do the dance. <laughs> yeah, you you, you, were, you were told to do the dance. Yeah. You, you do I the was dance, just doing the okay. dance. But you can't make that shit up about Larry David, you know? Not at all. He just lost it, man. Like, that's, you know, okay. Stories you can't make up. So that's very good. And, and you got a t-shirt coming. I don't oh, care. You got a t-shirt coming. So yeah, look it up. I swear to God. I, because even if I don't use it, it's well worth me writing down. And I'll give you a t-shirt for that. 
so go on my website. Well, you know, I did, and you I want. saw so, some so, of the you know, paintings. I'm already, I was already like looking. I was like, oh, that would be nice oh, right there. <laughs> okay. So, well, okay. So now, now, give me. All right. So now you're. No, wait a minute. So now you're like a customer. You're like uh, <laughs> now somebody. I'm a customer. Oh God. Okay. So wait a minute. No. So you're the first person I've ever talked to who actually went on and you like something on there because I haven't told anybody because it's not up as t-shirts. So I only, but what would you like as a, I'd like to know that as an owner, as an artist, oh, I want to know a few things. And what's the name? He went and what's the name? Jared, <laughs> Jared, he said he saw your artwork, but I definitely like, no, 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 but you, you're going to get All right, me. All right. I like the hood in the want? hood. I like the elephant one. Oh, that's one. my favorite. My, the oh, elephant oh. one, because my aunt loves elephants. I was like, holy I was really cow. That. And then the grandma one. Those were the three okay. that was like, I've had the victory. <laughs> okay. Now, now but let all me, of and, them are and, great. Not even see, oh. go to the second. I hadn't even gone to the second okay. page. No, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is really interesting, man. <laughs> no, you, now you've got my interest. Now, wait a minute. Oh, boy. Hood in the hood. I swear. Now, this is the truth. All the time, because we've been working on this for like two months, just uh-huh. getting this up and getting the T-shirt company and searching and trying it out on uh, my friends. One or two. I, I'm not spreading around. But <laughs> the two most famous, including my two favorites of everybody, mm-hmm. is Hood in the Hood and Elephant. That's right the fuck on. You're right on, man. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> okay. And my second favorite is Grandma. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. You're right oh, on. Yeah. I think Very it has something good. to do with Very the good. dyslexia. As you started at the beginning, I was like, yeah. I got a little bit of it, but mine's is not okay. that yeah, bad. I go. wasn't ever diagnosed with it, but I do do the L D D L B's and P's every now and then, and a couple of things. It's not yeah, like I'm diagnosed, but I have a l- little bit of that. So <laughs> now that you're like, yeah. oh, that's no, fine. Hey, I was like, listen, maybe that side of the brain. Feel, <laughs> yeah, don't feel bad. It's a fact that. Yeah. One out of every five or seven people in the United States has dyslexia and they don't know. It's never been such a problem that it's affected me that I need to go get Right. You know, some people, like, oh, some okay. people don't know it. Yeah. So in other words, so. it doesn't affect them that much. Yeah. I, they don't I know I it. But feel it's like I self-diagnose you know, my... Because... I would always yeah, like, mix up too. the L's and the D's and D's and L's, B's and P's. Like, you'd be like, why are you doing that? You know, there's this and that. I'm like, I don't know. And then every now and then yeah, a right. couple of words, you just, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, one out of five or one out of seven people in the United States don't know it. And there's very few. But I know, like, who's uh, the Fonz? You know, the Fonz? Yeah. Uh, Henry Winkle. What's his name? That Henry Winkle. He's got bad dyslexia. He's got his dyslexia as bad as I do. He needs the script early, like I okay. do. If you hire me for uh, any kind of role, I, it's in my contract that you have to send me the script earlier than everybody, or as early as possible. Yeah. And if there's any rewrites, I have to get it earlier. And him too. He's got it in one weird way, even worse than me. He's got to memorize word by word. He takes a really long time. But if, if I see a, a page with no paragraphs in it, I can't read it. I mean, it just looks like all letters, but not words. They just, I don't see the, uh, the space between words. I just see words, just a page full of words. So, you know, it, I would have to cover up half of the, or make paragraphs out of it to really read it. Then to memorize it, it takes me a long time. 
Yeah, it's really it's a it's a weird uh, weird that's, thing, that's but it's a lot of fun. To it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 the there's art, a lot yeah. of fun to it. I don't think I could have done uh, those paintings if I didn't have dyslexia or ADHD. Um, yeah, you know? there. I, I was. <laughs> we had someone who was like, "It's hard to pick favorites," but I was just like, "Ooh!" I was like, "I'm obviously not getting all of them." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I was like, good. Oh, these are some thirty-one. I'd like the splashes that you have like on top of it, and like the shush a little bit, uh, and then the cowboy too. Uh, I mean." They're all pretty, you know. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. I, I kind of think they'd make great T-shirts. I like oh, the cowboy yeah. one. Yeah. And, uh, but I tell you, the, on the first page, of, you know, there's like, I think, two pages or something. Yeah, of, it's two pages, art. yeah. And after you asked okay, me, well, I, I went and noticed that there was a second page. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, on the first page, the first five, I think, are my favorites. That's why I put the the the, the first five are my favorites. <laughs> what was my that? Favorite. MySpace top five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Old school top um, five. Yeah. They're first. The, but I didn't. I didn't mean it uh, for anybody else to know that. I just, you know, we're <laughs> talking, so I. Oh yeah, so, your secret is safe. This is a safe space, as we yeah, said at the beginning. Yes. You know, this is a safe place. You know, Larry's favorite is Hood on Hood. I I can't tell you. You know, don't tell anybody. Yeah, I told I, you. I, I, <laughs> you know. Hood on hood. No. no, I have I have a hood in the hood and an elephant T-shirt. I have that that already made. Those yes. are the two tests. Oh wow, tests for, <laughs> those are the two. Yeah, all right. So uh, yeah, I I had uh, and awesome. what was the uh, no? Those are the only the only two. And I just I'm realizing it now, and I'm sitting in my living room talking to you. But I have the prints. I have a four foot by five foot three paintings in my living room. Three of them. They're uh, one is five foot by four, two is five foot by four, and one is the long way, you know, four foot high by five foot long. And guess yeah. what they are? The elephant and hood in the hood. Nice. In my living room, nice. hanging. So you picked the right one. And then the other one is, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? The first one, the, the, with the, the throwing the red and the green splats against that guy telling it a Yeah, shush. that, yeah. What is the it? Authority. Uh, authority. Mm-hmm. authority. Yeah. So those are my... My uh, three, which are the first three, I think. Uh, well, well, you know what the, the crazy guy, Rant. Well, That's actually, it's the first is Rant, the second is Hood in the Hood, third is Authority, and yeah. the fourth is Cowboy, and then Elephant is five. So I yeah, went so from two three. to five, and then my third pick was Grandma. And then yeah, I was grandma, just like, okay, let me ask you this. Then we'll be, we'll be finished with, with this, because this, this is really great sorry. for me. But information. <laughs> no, no, it's, a, it's information for me. Are you like the grandma that's the white grandma on white or just the grandma? Is I didn't his, know that there were two grandmas. I just, well, he's got a grandma singing. Okay. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, no, no, no. no I'm no. talking about the no, no, grandma, no, no, no. the lady sitting no, no. in the chair. No, the, and a, she looks like abuela. You, she looks like abuela. Like it would be like in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like, no, abuela, no. like somebody no, no. is just no, no. sitting there and her like not moo no. moo, but that's no, 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 no. Grandma, no, no. the one you pick, the yes. one you pick, grandma. That's there the one I'm talking one. about. That gr- yes, grandma. I know. And I'm talking about that too. That okay. one, there is another one that's not up yet. And it's okay. that one is my favorite. And it's better than that one. It's that grandma sitting mm-hmm. on that red cat or that red uh, cushion that she's sitting oh, yeah. on. Mm-hmm. But everything else is white. So mm-hmm. the chair is white and it's a white room. But it's just her that's in color and the red cushion. So it's really stark. It's great. I love it. So that's my favorite. 
So there's two grandmas. I got to get that up there. And yeah, I, I, lo- I love the like down. the definition and like her face and the neck and stuff. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I know we're so off task. So, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Sorry, thank you Jared. very much. I really appreciated that. You're the first, you know, stranger that has given me any feedback on, on to what's going on. Oh, man. That's yeah. Because <laughs> I did. We we did one recently, and we were kind of talking about like art and writing and the difference. And he was like, "Well, think about when you painted." I can't paint hardly for shit, but it was, I went to a couple like hate nights or paint with a twist, and then I brought my own paint stuff because it's like I really like it. So I do, I would yeah. do, and I tried to mimic what I had learned on a couple of things. And I, the first one that I did it was like, ah, it doesn't look exactly the same. The paints, and I'm like, all right. He's like, but you got to clean all your brushes and all that when you're done. It's, it's not oh, the same yeah. as writing. He's like, it's not the same it's as writing. Commitment. I was like, yes, I know. <laughs> cleaning oh, your brushes. That's, that's why I got Photoshop. I didn't like cleaning the brushes. You're right. There you go. Yeah. So get Photoshop, man. You got to clean brushes. That's, Nobody that's needs to do acrylic painting or oil paints. Yeah. Yeah, no, you gotta get that Bob Ross out of you, though. You gotta like, there's no, there's no mistakes, just happy accidents. I want to hear what Larry has to say about Bob Ross. Well, I used to watch that guy too. Yeah, no, I watch those painting things. Yeah, he's cool. Well, they all are, but you know, I'm I'm beyond that now. I graduate. Obviously, you you are. You are the. I can run my own, but I, you know, I should do that. Oh, you should. Somebody should. In other words, he's painting on television and it's really cool i do watch it is another there's about three of those guys i watch them they're very interesting but there's nobody painting with photoshop on television that would be a new well why don't you start it there you go you got a new market all right well yeah i got a new market well i'm doing so many things you know that i can't i just can't i don't have time i'm writing a screenplay i'm doing the t-shirts i'm painting my own paintings i'm writing a one-man show i'm writing my biography it's just too much, you know. It's just yeah. You too, are where you much. do need that vacation. You mentioned earlier. Oh boy, man, boy. And you, on your vacation, you'd still be like taking notes. Note, <laughs> I need. Well, to do hopefully, this. I just want to go swimming and and not think about you know art at all. I just I don't want to think about creativity. But I don't know if I can shut my brain off. I mean, it's yeah, just it's yeah. always on, man. Yeah, you I mentioned really weird. ADHD, and then being on vacation and being on the ward and the beach and that. It being so, yeah. you know, scenic, this is just going to bring out more art, like, in, to, in my opinion. Well, yeah. But, you but know, maybe you can try to shut it down. Maybe, Good luck. <laughs> well, no, but I maybe it will just be new input and those new That's images. Right. I just got these old recycled images because I haven't been on vacation. So I'm just using up all the, you know, stored knowledge that I have to use for creativity. So it would just give me new colors, yeah. new doodles, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's what your brain wants just new stuff or rest i can use the rest I really yeah <laughs> it's like one of the you know, i know i feel the same way it's like you gotta be like really into something and doing something that's motivating you or whatever or yeah, please exactly. let me rest or sleep like i just need <laughs> i need to rest. oh right well sometimes yeah i can't sleep because you know just oh yeah i know what i should do oh here's another another thing that i guess has to do with the adhd and the dyslexia you know i i like for instance, yesterday, I made a commitment to somebody about something we're going to do. Me and, and Carl. Me and Carl are going to do this new project. An, uh. Another new project. So it's like, okay, okay, Carl. And I tell you what, you and I will be, we'll, we'll be like a band, okay? And I always do this. And I say, yeah. And he says, yeah. And he's okay, agreed. Okay, we'll talk next week and we'll continue this conversation. Great. And I hang up. 
And then I wake up this morning and I go, oh man, that conversation I had with Carl. No, I don't want to do that. I, I, I just don't want to do it. It wasn't a good idea. In other words, when I go to sleep, it's 48 hours. If I say anything in 24 hours and I go to sleep, when I wake up the next day, my mind has changed. It doesn't, I, have, I haven't changed my mind. My mind has changed. And so generally, I'm trying to teach myself that I make any kind of commitment. You have to give right. me 24 hours to change my mind because I know it's going to change. Now, sometimes it doesn't change a lot. Yeah. But what we discussed is a little different. Well, this conversation I had with Carl changed a lot. And that has happened to me a lot, too. So there's that going on. In other words, I make commitments voluntarily. And then the next day, it's, it's all different, you know, and I got to say, no, I'm or, not going to be able to do it. Well, I'm glad you didn't You have a different thought about this commitment for the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. No, <laughs> no, no. There's certain, well, you know, the, okay. So you just, you, you, you pin me on that because no podcast <laughs> right now. I, I know why I've done a lot of podcasts in the last two or three months, ever since El Camino came out. That's what turned me on to podcasts. When El Camino came out, I had to do, because I was being featured in it. You, you know El Camino from, you know, Breaking yes, Bad. I, I, Breaking yes, Bad. I saw Yeah, we've seen it. So I was in it, but that's the first movie where they commissioned me. You know, they said, look, Larry, you got to do publicity for this. I go, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I'll do a podcast. <laughs> no, he said publicity. He said, you got to do publicity for this. Podcasts are part of that. But it wasn't, you got to do a podcast. He said, you got to do publicity for it. Which again, I, I said, fine, because at least it gets my face out there, you know, but even if it's for, for them. So I started doing, they started booking me to talk about El Camino on podcasts. And I said, yeah, you, but you know, I have this book coming out, you know, the, uh, the, loophole dos- the loopholes dossier. So could I talk about that also? And then they said, El Camino people said, yeah, yeah. But as long as you talk about El Camino, you can talk about anything else you want. That's fine. Right. So that's what I started to do. Yeah. And then when the, the movie came out and then they said, okay, you know, we're not doing any more publicity. It's now launched and you're on your own. You know, we're not spending any more money on ads. But I was still getting calls from podcasters saying, hey, I heard your podcast. Because you guys listen to one another, I guess. That's what I was getting. And they said, we heard you on, you know, podcast El Camino and you were talking about one of your movies and that would be cool. Can you just come on and talk about only your stuff? So I said, yeah, just like you guys. And so I did about, I've done now since uh, January, since January, I've done a, maybe over a hundred podcasts. That's awesome. Just talking oh, really? About my well, oh, yeah, I appreciate really. you taking the time out with us and spending no, it. No, no, I, I love I hope that we, we at least fare different than the other 99 podcasts. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I talk about what they want, whatever the podcaster wants to talk about. I don't come in with them. That's why I was so, you know, dumbfounded by how it began. (laughs) Icebreaker, your favorite concert. (laughs) You're like, what the fuck? No, what? what? Whoa, I'm not really, wow. That isn't even near what I was ever asked. No, In in fairness, Larry, Larry, we were thinking you probably get asked the same questions all the time. So we're trying not to be the same, following that same story. Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. That's generally true, but not really in, in my case. Because here's the thing why I will not miss a podcast and I, I want to do podcasts 
right now, that's what I love doing is podcasts because A, for me, I like talking about different things because it stirs up my brain a lot. And, you know, I get to talk about a lot of different things that are in there or that you ask me about. But I also get to talk about what I need to talk about, which is my my T-shirts, my website, my book. So it gets me to do that. But it also gets me to loosen up. I have been, as I told you, I've been locked away, sequestered inside creativity or because of, you know, the, the health thing for over seven months, really. And just meeting friends for dinner once or maybe twice a week. And the rest of the time, I'm busy either, you know, with business or writing at home on the internet. So now I'm writing a book and I'm doing this one man show or writing, starting to write. So when I do the podcast, I'm getting into talking. It's helping me with my writing, just loosening up because I haven't been talking to people. Sometimes I'll go for three or four days without saying a word. Except maybe if I phone somebody or answer the phone, sometimes I don't answer the phone because I'm writing, you know, and it just kind of interrupts the flow. So I've gone three or four days without saying a word. And, you know, so when I do meet somebody like for dinner, you know, once a week, I'll take over the conversation and I got to school myself that, hey, man, you know, you haven't talked to anybody for a couple of days. Just back (laughs) off, man. (laughs) Back off. I love it. You know, somebody else is talking. So no shame cool. in that. Yeah. Yeah. But so with the interviews, I can talk, but I can also talk things that are valid to what I'm about to do next. Not old stuff, but I'm about to write a book. I'm about to write about my life. I'm about to do a one man show about the movies I've been in. So this is all good for the future. I'm not like rehashing old stuff, but looking forward. So I'm all for podcasts, you know, and then. Soon, like if I get this movie sold, this chiller movie, this comedy chiller movie sold, then I'll have to stop Is doing podcasts. Is that the title of it, and chiller then, movie? No, like that's but that's a good title also. Uh, no, the, the title of it is called, let me get the exact title. The title is A Night in the Country. So yes. it all happens in one night from the time the sun goes down to the time the sun comes up. So, you the know, genre is, it's, it's like, what, chiller, like a psychological thriller or what is it? It's a vampire movie. I like okay. it. It's a vampire movie. <laughs> we, and, we're going to uh, like it. It's a vampire it, movie. Yeah. And I play the vampire. Mm. There you go. And, Good work. As long as I can get and, a role in the movie, I'm down for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, tell you the other thing. And it, there is a very weird, great. And this is why I wrote it, because I came up with the twist before I came up with the, with the idea for the movie. But there's a great twist in it that... Well, don't that, be a spoiler don't, Spoiler alert! No, no, no. I would, no, I would never tell anybody. I, I have not told anybody. So, yeah, should I hit pause, Larry? Should I? <laughs> no, no. I had to, no, because I finished it, and I, I sold it. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't sell it. But there was a producer who Very interesting. been after me. Uh, who who was interested before before I wrote it, and then he asked me about it because I I did something else for him. He hired me to do a movie for him. So while while we were working together, we had coffee together with with his assistant, and uh, actually was with a, a director, a cool director, who I, who I was in the movie. In other words, he he got me to be in this movie with this director. So while we were having coffee, he asked me about. I heard you were writing a movie. Could you tell me about it? And I said, well, 
she's here. Would you not tell anybody? And she promised not to tell anybody, you know. But after I told them the movie, she wanted to do it. I said, well, you know, it's registered, so don't mention it to anybody. So uh, I told him. I told him the movie and the twist. And when I told him the twist, you could see both their eyes light up. Like, and they laughed. They say, oh, cool, man. And then she said, oh, I'd like to do it. You know, let me see. Can I read the script? So, and he said, yeah, yeah, send me the script too. So I just sent them the script. So those are the only two people. But I know I got a good twist because right after I said it, they said, yeah, send me the script. I want to I read it. So it's kind of cool. So, yeah, that's in the future too. But I finished. I'm just now waiting for the, I just got notes for rewrites. Well, we definitely can't wait. Can't wait for that. Jared, you, cool. you still Larry, Larry I, <laughs> if, if you would let us, I'd talk to you for another two hours. I, I know, right? Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have to call him. Like, yeah, we got to do another car. No, wait, 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 if you want to do another one later on down the road when you, you know, you, you don't have anybody oh. to call and you, I, no, you guys are great. So, you know, we, if you we want to would, do another one, that's fine. We would welcome to have you sit in anytime, and we appreciate yeah. that. And we certainly want okay. to do a follow-up so. once you get some of these projects done. Um, yeah. I, as, we yeah. start to, as we start to close out, for people that want to get the shirts, they want to uh, stay connected, what's the best way for them to do that, Larry? Okay, well, either uh, you can just you know, join me on Facebook. I have a Facebook Facebook page, and I just put little, you know, uh, notes and stuff about what's coming up on there. So it's just Larry Hankin on Facebook, you know, and for friend me, to friend me say, that you know, you know, hey, can I be your friend? It's from your podcast. So, you know, mention the podcast. So I know that you're not just a stranger, you know, uh, and I'll let you on. And then don't people, forget your website where they can see your art oh, and, and your web- upcoming shirts. Yeah. So that's, and, and then you can uh, look at my stuff and see it, you know, really well presented and on <laughs> the real LarryHankin.com because somebody has gotten I registered LarryHankin.com and they want to sell it to me and I won't pay for it. Oh, yeah, because so I can imagine. Yeah. My name, I, man. So I got the real LarryHankin.com. So that's why it's the real LarryHankin.com. But don't go to LarryHankin.com. That the guy real. is real. You yeah. hear that, guy? Yeah. Or right, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts for our listeners? This no, but so if you want to, you know, go to my website and, you know, look at the, the paintings, uh, look at the, they're going to be t shirts. It's not, the link isn't up yet. But look at the book. If you want the book, you can buy the book, The Loopholes Dossier. And any bookstore that sells books, you can order it online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You your got an audio book out yet? I'm surprised Jared didn't I, I want to do that. I got to do an audio book. That's my <laughs> Jared, Jared's going to do the audio for the audio book. Oh, man. No, no, I, don't, I want Larry. No, no, to I want to do it. Yeah, I want Larry. Oh, no, I got to do it. I got it. Yeah, go. This is Larry's story of when he was homeless. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, guys. So listen, here I won't I won't call you because I, I I kind of think it's kind of rude. But if you want me to do a, I think just call me. You got my number. You know, you, Definitely. you guys are cool. You can call us. We'll call you. We'll stay connected for sure. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's Garrett, and tell me your name again. It's Jared and Miss Christine. Yeah, we we oh, um, Christine. Oh, we Christine. sent you we sent you an right. email, and I oh, sent okay. you a friend request on. Facebook, so we'll we'll stay connected. I barely you. check Facebook, but I'll hit the hit the firm request. Okay, Christine from and the name of the sh- the the name of the show. I, I got it down. I got it written somewhere, but just tell me again. It's called Star of the, the Doubts. Star of the Doubts. Oh, spell belts. Doubts. D o u b t s. Like you doubt something. B B say D D D is in Delta. O is in oh, Yeah. Doubt. Starve the doubts. Starve the doubts. 
doubts. With Miss like, Christine me? and Jared. Oh, the yep. doubts. D O D T S. Yes. Right. Yep. So oh, wow. Starve the doubts. Well, that's Let's right go. on, man. You can use right. that. Yeah, you no can doubt. use that name in a you know in a film. Or <laughs> No, no, book or the t-shirt. No, but what it's Yeah, it's going to be the name of my next next book. The next next book. No, no, no. Starve the doubts is something that I believe in. I mean, you're right. That's what you're saying with starve the doubts. I totally believe in. You're right on with starve the doubts. Yes, starve the doubts. I say no doubts. Well, you know. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Garrett and Christine, I got to get off because I got to get back to writing. I got to do Sam, yeah, we got to so get back You to guys work. are great. You're awesome. Okay. So much fun. Okay. Thank you so much, you Larry. Too. Stay safe. Okay, thanks, Garrett. Thanks, Christine. Rock on. Mm-hmm.